Hey there, art lovers. Mike Hindley here. I'm excited to welcome you to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. In each episode, I'll be bringing you along on my journey as I explore what it means to be an artist. But don't worry, it's not just going to be me talking about my favorite tools and sketchbooks the whole time. I'll also be chatting with other talented artists about their experiences and sharing some of my own insights and reflections on my art journey. So come on in, get comfortable, and let's get inspired together. Episode 97, Wild Inspiration, Exploring the World of Animal Art with Katherine Hansen. Hi everyone, welcome back. Just a few quick updates, we'll go right into that interview. I'm happy to announce that I am doing yet another Etcher course. <laughs> this will actually be a multi-week course. It'll be probably six to seven weeks, uh, one class a week. This will be in the fall, so around October time frame. It will be around graphite and drawing. We'll dig real deep into kind of the tools and the process, and there'll be lots of homework. There'll be homework each week, and so I am looking forward to that. It was uh, put up on the Etcher site, so I can, <laughs> I think I could talk about it at this point, but I'm really excited to be working with Etcher again. Uh, keep an eye out for it. There'll be more details as we get closer to October. So we're coming up on 100 episodes, so I thank all of you who've submitted audio clips about how the podcast has impacted your journey and maybe what your favorite podcast episode was. In addition, I'd like to thank those of you who've sent email and messages, and it's okay to do that. I'm not asking for everyone to do an audio clip because most of us don't like the sound of our own voice, but I do appreciate you sending that in. There's plenty of time left if you want to share your story or how the podcast or a specific episode or a guest has impacted you please, uh, you can use the link on the contact page at drawinginspiration.fm. You can just record an audio clip on your phone if you'd like and send it to mike at mikehendley.com. And so I'd love to hear from you. If I do include your clip in the podcast or your message, I will include a link to your Instagram if you'd like as well in the show notes. And so I look forward to hearing from you. And I have uh, reached out to the guests as well to get some feedback from them. So it should be a, a good opportunity to reflect on four years and 100 episodes. And I'm looking forward to it. It'll mark a, a fairly, I think, major milestone as uh, continue moving forward with the podcast. So thank you to everyone, uh, the Patreon supporters, and thanks to all of you for continuing to listen and enjoy these wonderful conversations and reflections in every episode of Drawing Inspiration podcast. So just a couple of pieces I've uh, that I wanted to share. I'm working on some other stuff that I haven't shared, but uh, I did try out this new little moleskin sketchbook, and I'm using it because it fits into this new art kit that I put together, which I will be sharing on YouTube when I get around to it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's probably this week. So it fits nicely into one of the pockets. It's quite small. It uh, soft cover. The paper is, once again, that kind of... Um, it, it's not pure white. It has kind of an off-white color. It's not super thick, the paper, and it's really, really smooth. And so it's kind of fun for kind of quick graphite sketching. It's a bit too buttery. The, the, the paper doesn't have enough tooth to it that I can get the variation I want with graphite. So I'm not saying it's the best paper, but I think it works well if I just want to pull out and sketch something really quickly. I really like the pad. It's a nice size pad, and you'll see it in the video. And so the uh, the picture of Arlo, which is one of our Havanese dogs, is something I did in that. And that was really just kind of super quick uh, sketch that I did over lunch at work. And uh, that's why I use it. It's so small, and I can just tuck it in, and uh, I could just even carry that in a pencil, and I'd be fine. 
So um, just trying out that and uh, trying to figure out this new configuration with my art kit and figuring out what I'm going to carry and what I'm not. And the other piece that I worked on was a great blue heron. So it's been really warm here where I am, and we have a pond out back uh, that I kind of built myself over a number of years. And it's quite large. And we have all these animals that come back because we're typically frozen for a few months of the year. And so we've had uh, wood ducks and mergansers, turtles and frogs, and a great blue heron. So I decided to draw it with a ballpoint pen. And so I used a Strathmore toned tan paper pad. And this is kind of a spiral bound one. I just thought I would try this on toned paper. The pen I used is a uh, retractable pen. It has four different inks in it. So it has red, blue, green, and black. And it's like those ones. I remember having them in school. And I, for some reason, I think that you could get ones that were like 10 or 12 different inks. But I don't think they make them anymore. I, they may. I don't know. But I saw this one recently in, a, in a, just a stationary store. And it had the four inks. And you just retract them. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm going to have to play with this at some point. So I did. And I drew the heron in this, trying to get, uh, trying to use the red and some other colors there to get an orange was kind of tricky, but um, it was fun playing with it. And then I used a white jelly roll from Sakura just to bring in some of the highlights in the end. So um, that was interesting. The uh, the Sakura doesn't like the other ink, so I have to be, I kind of need to lay it down first. And uh, so it's, you don't really want to mix them <laughs> too much, but uh, it was nice just to be able to sit out on the front porch and sketch this heron from a reference photo I took. So that was, uh, I, I got to do more of this stuff. I feel like I'm being a bit too precious in the pieces I'm doing. So that's why I've tried the moleskin. And the other thing I did is I spent some time with some artists and uh, we just drew in a park. I did a, a wood duck, which I haven't posted, but uh, it was a good chance to connect with some local artists and creatives about what they're doing. And uh, it was good. It was about an hour and a half, but I do need to get out more and uh, do some uh, do some urban sketching so I have some of that planned up as well so keep an eye out I'm going to be doing some more architectural pieces in addition to all the normal art that I do so I hope to see more of what you're creating so please continue to to share your work on Instagram tag me or message me I'm always interested in seeing what everyone else is doing I try and follow everyone that follows me provided you're not a bot (laughs) and uh, I always like to see your work so uh, please keep sharing and please keep creating So that's it for updates. Let's head into the interview. I am so pleased to be joined by renowned artist Catherine Hansen for this week's podcast. With her incredible talent for capturing the spirit and beauty of animals, Catherine has made a name for herself in the art world, and now she's here to share her passion and insights with you. Catherine's journey started in the heart of Wisconsin, where her love for art blossomed at a young age. With a strong foundation in studio arts, illustration, and fine art, Catherine has dedicated her life to portraying the beauty of the natural world. As a signature member of the Society of Animal Artists, Catherine's art has been featured in magazines, books, and even national ad campaigns. Her commitment to the conservation of wildlife shines through in her work as she donates a portion of her sales to support organizations devoted to ensuring these animals and their habitats are protected. Join me as Catherine takes us on a mesmerizing journey into the world of animals and nature, sharing her artistic process and the stories behind her stunning creations. To talk about her creative journey, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration podcast, Catherine Hansen. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Hi, Mike. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming on. I've been watching your work for a while, and I love colored pencil, and I love your work, 
Me too. <laughs> and I really <laughs> wanted to have you on to be able to talk about your process and your training and everything else, because I think it's important to uh, to showcase all forms of art. And I haven't had enough colored pencil artists on the podcast. <laughs> and I just find your, especially your recent work with the owl is, is just so engaging. And I just wanted to thank you for putting the time aside to talk to me. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for asking me. I wanted to kind of lead into this, as I always do, trying to understand where people come from. And I know you've got quite a bit of experience and training, but I'm wondering, as a child, was was art and maybe art and nature, were those important to you? Were you the, the creative kid? Were you the artist in the family? Definitely the artist in the family, although growing up, I was way more into crafts. My mom was into crafts, so... I did way more crafts than I did artwork. My parents had no clue about art in general. And I never even went to um, an art museum until I was like a junior in, um, in college. So, you know, it was never really spoken about. We just didn't, my mom and I did, we painted little ornaments and we did crocheting and hooking rugs and I made uh, dioramas and things like that. But I drew a lot, but nothing, you know, never painted or anything like that until I got to high school. And is that then when you kind of got the bug a little bit? Uh, were you on a different track? Oh, and definitely. Oh, yeah. 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 I had, well, back when I was growing up, we actually did have art teachers. It was part of the curriculum. But in high school, when you got there, we had three uh, really young teachers in uh, ceramics, jewelry, and drawing and painting, although we didn't do that much painting. And that really kind of opened my eyes to more possibilities. That's exciting. Did you think I could be an artist at that point? Or was it more like, uh, wow, I didn't know about this stuff? I really did want to be an artist, but my parents were adamantly against it. So... Uh, I, went, I had to go to college. I, I wanted to go to art school, and I wasn't allowed to go to art school. So I went to college, and my father wanted me to be a CPA or a nurse, which, <laughs> if anyone knows me, that's like not even in my top 100 of career <laughs> choices. <laughs> so uh, I went to college undeclared, although... I was sewing a lot uh, since like seventh grade. And so I thought, you know, my parents allowed me to think about fashion merchandising, but I did not like the program at all. So I was kind of undeclared there for a while. And then in college I had, well, because of fashion merchandising, you had to take art classes. So uh, in my sophomore year, there was a new teacher, a painting and drawing teacher, and he's the one that changed everything for me, the course. So I was undeclared, but I didn't tell my parents that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they actually knew till my junior year when I told them uh, that I was going into art, and they just couldn't argue with me at that point. So uh, the, what changed it is we were drawing over in the science building the um, taxidermy animals, and um, his name is Steve Hanks, and he said to me, you really need to be an artist. And that just was like the first confirmation I ever got in my life in regards to my art. Wow. Yeah, I mean, my parents never acknowledged it at all. So that was pretty thrilling for me. And I'm like, well, if Steve thinks I can, then I'm going to do it. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> Why would you not at that point, right? And... <laughs> That's right. Someone believed in me, so you know I had to go with it. <laughs> so this was still part of the the fashion merchandising, but then you transitioned to be well. You weren't really yeah. like you said you were undeclared, but at that point you decided I'm going full BFA. At that point, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just had switched over to a BFA program. So in I, in my junior year, my that summer. I told my parents, I'm going for an art degree, and they switched over to a BFA, and I have to get catch up and get all these extra classes in over the summer, which was a total lie. I just didn't want to go home. And <laughs> <laughs> and so I just had so much fun. I, it was such a great art department. It was very small. It was like s- such huge community. It, I really loved it a lot. But then I graduated, and I didn't know what to do at all. There was no... <laughs> absolutely no training and what to do with it so right yeah i was gonna ask you that like so let's get to that in a sec but i'm just wondering i have so many people on the podcast that are Mm self-taught in addition to those that have degrees so it's it's a nice almost an even split and so i'm wondering with that experience that you had getting the bfa you you probably had to touch other uh, materials other mediums and things like that uh you know you're drawing now that's your kind of medium of choice. Was there were there mediums that you left behind that you may want to come back to in the future? Were, were there a few other things that you had done that you were like, hey, you know, I really enjoy this kind of thing? Well, it was a degree. It was studio arts, so you had to take every single class there: sculpture, ceramics, uh, woodworking, everything, printmaking. And so I went, you had to do every single class. I loved them all. That that's my problem is I love it all. So. <laughs> Well, that answers the question then, right? <laughs> I love creating. I would. I. It takes a lot for me to keep focusing on one medium. Hmm. So, I. You know, every time I like start getting bored or something, like, oh, well, maybe I could do collage again or go back to painting or. So I really have to keep myself focused. And when you, you know, the latter stages of your BFA, were you drawing or was it painting? Like, what was your predominant kind of medium of choice at that point in time? Uh, well, it was two things. So I was, I, Steve Hanks taught painting and uh, life drawing. And I loved life drawing. Oh my gosh, it was so good. It, it was just, so I took every class I could. So I was, at the end, I was doing painting and life drawing. And then I was in the doing printmaking because I loved that too. That was really fun. And then you get to the end and then what's next? <laughs> like that's the challenge right is is oh my god they never prepared any of us it was really that was the worst part because i really felt lost at that point and i didn't know what to do so what i did do is get a full-time job in retail and then i put together a portfolio and i applied to the milwaukee institute of art and design because i thought well i always want i love children's books so that's what i wanted to do i want to illustrate children's books so I actually was accepted. I moved to Milwaukee or back home, which is near Milwaukee. And I took a bus in every day to classes. And it was such a different atmosphere. I, I really did not like the atmosphere. I liked the teachers. Um, they were all professional artists and they taught like part-time. And so they really, when I was, took a bunch of illustration courses, they really told us that if you want to be an illustrator, you better be prepared for a lot of pressure because they want everything yesterday. And I am not a pressure person. I do not like pressure. 
on my art. So then I spent two years just like taking design classes and trying to figure it out. But what happened is there was the Milwaukee Institute of Art Design is in this really cool place down by the lakefront. And around the corner was a gallery called Posner Gallery. And so I just went in there one day and I took her my portfolio and she loved my work. And that's what I did then. I, I quit school because the program they had was a BFA. So I was just going for, you know, the, get the credits for the class. And so I, I was there about a year and a half, two years. And then I just, I moved back to Stevens Point where I went to school because um, my now ex-husband, that's where he was living. So we got married and I moved back there, but I was in the gallery as one of their artists. So um, I was happy doing that. I felt like I had direction. I was doing watercolors in uh, doing cityscapes and urban scapes and nothing that I could actually support me like full-time so I did have a part-time job but at least I was going in a direction and I felt good about it so that's awesome and you yeah. said you were doing watercolor yeah very detailed again <laughs> watercolor <laughs> Yeah, it's it's hard to uh, like. I have so many artists on who I think are full time, and they're not. They either have a full time job, or they have another part time job, and mm -hmm. uh, just trying to keep it moving forward. So I think that's that's pretty much the norm. Like a lot of people are doing that. It's hard. Even you know, you could search so many YouTube net videos now where people are talking about multiple income streams as an artist, and you know, selling prints and teaching and Etsy store and you know, merchandising uh, or licensing your art and all that kind of stuff. It's really hard just to be a creative, right? I, you know, you know why I like having a full time job is it takes the pressure off my work. I don't have to really make it for anyone. I don't really have to go out and promote it and try to sell it. I mean, all that's extra income, sort of like a side hustle for me, mm -hmm. which works really well. I'd love to retire, you know, in like five years and then really make that my full-time career. But, you know, then that comes, like you said, all that hustle you have to do because you really do. You have to, and that's the benefit too of having a full-time job. If I want to go off and have fun, you know, on a weekend, I do. I don't have to worry about it, but I just feel like if I'm doing it full time, there's not going to be that where I can take time off like I have been, you know, I'm going to feel a lot more pressured. Exactly. And, and that's, I, I think just to be specific about the point is you still have a full time job. And so the art is still your, your, your passion project, your part time, you're off the corner of the desk kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I put in like 25, I mean, before this, even a couple of years ago, I still had a full time job. I was doing like 30 hours in the studio. I'm about 24, 25 now. Um, so it's still quite a bit of time in the studio, but I, I love it. So it's not like a chore or anything. Right. right. But there's not pressure either, unless I'm doing commissions. Yeah. And that becomes a bit more challenging. Yeah, definitely. You know, along your journey, you studied painting uh, with someone special in California, right? Yeah, she's passed away now, but oh, she was a really good uh, plein air painter and she taught out of her home, and she was just really an amazing person. It was after kind of the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design, and everyone's so, like, secretive, and she was just so open with all her advice, and, oh, my gosh, she was so giving. I just really, really liked her a lot. It was a great class. So that was uh, Margot Lennertz in uh, California? Yes. yeah. Was that oil painting and watercolor, or was it one or both, or...? No, just uh, oil painting. So okay. 
By that time, when I took her class, I had just moved to California. So I really had basically stopped doing any art, like a, maybe about six months before my oldest daughter was born. So I've had long periods of time where I've stopped doing art. So this was kind of to help me get back into it again. But I didn't, you know, I didn't really like the plein air painting because I had a horrible setup. It was so heavy. Um, I don't even remember what kind it was. And then to try to take that in hiking, it was just really miserable. It was hard. I think it, nowadays, you know, there's some, the equipment is like a thousand times better. I probably would enjoy it more. But at that time, it was really hard. So I, I kind of stuck to just painting in her garage and then at home, more studio painting. Were the subjects landscapes or was it, what was the subject? It, yeah, all landscapes. All landscapes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When did you transition to animals? It's lovely what you're doing. And oh. I'm wondering, when did you, when did that kind of bug bite you and, and say, you've got to take care of this stuff over here? Well, once I, after Margot Leonard's, I had to actually go back to work full time um, because I was a single mom at that point. And uh, so I wasn't doing any art, but my kids were starting to get older and I had more of kind of blocks of time I could have to myself. So I started in uh, 2008, I started a pet portrait business and that really started taking off. So I did animals with that, but on my own work, I wasn't doing animals. So it was actually in uh, 2010 when I went to Africa uh, on safari. And then when I came back, it's like, I just have to draw all, you know, all these animals I've seen. I took like over 6,000 reference images. So just had years and years of material to work with. So I was just blown away when I went to Africa. The animals were just amazing. And your choice of medium was colored pencil at that time? No, it actually was graphite. Okay. Uh, Because my kids were still little, it was just, it was impossible to even think about painting. So, but it was easy to pick up a pencil and put it down when I, when they needed me. So uh, that was the easiest thing to do. And, you know, I always loved drawing. I always did graphite drawings. And so that was just kind of a natural thing for me to just just do graphite. Yeah, it's it is so approachable. I just did my first course in graphite, and it is something that everyone should try. Like I think just being good at drawing is it's it's fun. Oh, and, super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. Uh, as you say, it's something that you don't have to worry about the kids getting into. You don't have to worry about it drawing before you get back to it, like acrylic or something else, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I have a lot of animals too. So, you know, they love, the cats love to jump up on things. <laughs> always knock. Even now I don't even have like anything that they can knock over. So it's too easy to happen. <laughs> so you went to Africa on safari. I think that's brilliant. Did What was it that, that drew you to Africa? Uh, actually it's my sister. She had been there the, I think a year or two before with the LA zoo. And then she found someone to do these private tours. And I'm actually going back this year again. Oh, wow. My sister is actually taking all of my whole family, most of my family there, um, for a two week safari again. So I'm super excited about that. It's going to (laughs) be thrilling. And I'll have a lot of new material to work with. And it's just, it was just awesome. Yeah. And so you were there for two weeks. Uh, was yeah. it like what? What's that like? Are you going on safari every day? Is there traveling in between destinations? Like, what's a what's a two week trip in in Africa like? Uh, once you get there, uh, well, we because she customized this trip. She really is. I don't know if any other 
kind of group tour group does this. But since she's private and she knew a lot of us, it was just so customized. So it was just one amazing surprise after another. Um, it was two safaris a day. So you got up really early, like five o'clock in the morning, and then you went out till about lunchtime. You had lunch, rested a little bit, and then you went out on afternoon, evening safari. And so you were out there twice a day, always animals, always animals around. I mean, the elephants, the first time we went out and we saw elephants right away, it just blew my mind. It was so beautiful. It was like almost a spiritual experience. Oh, just, I, it's, it's hard to describe. It was just so beautiful. It was so quiet in our, in our, we had three Jeeps. I think there was like 15 of us and it was just so quiet. Everyone was in such awe with whenever we got by the animals and we had really good guides and it was just, it was fascinating. We just did so many, she had so many surprises. We had bush dinners and cocktails in the bush and then all the food was fabulous. Oh my God. I gained weight when I was there. <laughs> it was so good. And then at night you're just like, uh, after dinner, you just have drinks with everyone and then you're off to bed pretty early because you have to get up early. So that's awesome. Yeah. I've heard, I've had a few guests on that focus kind of on the big five, right? The lion, the yeah. leopard, rhino, elephant, and the buffalo, the African buffalo, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I, we saw it all. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Multiple times, it was just it fascinating. We had so many interesting encounters. To one, one time, um, there was an option to go out or stay back at the lodge if you wanted to. So, uh, like five of us went. My brother and I went from my family, and um, some other some of the participants in the safari. And we didn't have our normal driver then. It was uh, someone from the uh, lodge. And our vehicle got stuck and it wouldn't start. And all of a sudden there was a bull elephant and it was charging our Jeep. And, and everyone was like really terrified because these things can dump, you know, they can knock over your Jeep. And so we were getting really scared. But you know, he just was charging and he just came short of hitting our vehicle. And finally the guy got it going and we went off and left that guy. And then we came upon this um, family of elephants with a couple babies and the baby, I don't know, have you ever watched baby elephant videos? Yes. They are the goofiest. <laughs> They're falling over their trunks and yeah. charging, mock charging us. And it's just the cutest thing. So that was one of my favorite experiences, even though it was really scary. They're running around like, who, who pinned this trunk on my face? I can't get it off. It's, I know. it's, it's hilarious. I know. Aren't they funny? Yeah. Uh, baby elephants are so funny and yeah. adorable. I love them. And I, we saw a lot of them out there. So... Did you go with the intent, like you said, you took 6,000 photos. Did you go with the intent of, I've got to build up a reference library? Is that? No, I, it was just so, it's just so much to take, you know, when you're there, you know, just yeah. constantly clicking away. So I wasn't really expecting that, but just being there in that experience, I just, I knew I had to come back and just draw animals. And now I've always had put animals in my artwork. So it wasn't like that far of a stretch. Right. Even when it was a cityscape or an urban scape, I always had birds or a dog or a cat or something in there. So animals have always been super important to me throughout my life. So 
they're always going to be present in my art. What was the first one or two animals you did from that trip? Like what really pulled you in? Oh, the elephants for sure. Yeah. And I, I think I drew, ended up drawing like nine elephants and all of them sold. Yeah, people really love elephants. <laughs> and these are all, once again, just graphite? I shouldn't say just graphite, but were they graphite? Let's see. No, you know, I started getting into colored pencils in probably about 2016, 27, just kind of dabbling using both graphite and colored pencil. And then I went absolute full colored pencils in um, 2018. Okay. So I did do some elephants in colored pencil, but most of them were in graphite. I don't know about you. I've I've sketched, I've only, I think, sketched one elephant pair in my, just in a sketchbook. And I... For me, I love elephants because of the texture. Like, I just think yeah. you look at it and you think I could get lost in that. Like, it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, rhinos are the same way. Yeah. It's just so funny. Every time you draw an animal, it's just, they're so unique. Each one is so unique. Just the textures or the fur in there. It, it's just fun to draw and, and, you know, see the different patterns and textures in each one. And you learn so much from drawing each one. What's, uh, you're going back this year, what's the... What are you going to be most excited to see first as a matter of animals? The elephants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to see elephants again. I can't tell you. I just, it's just something, because there's sometimes like 30, 40 in a herd, and they're just eating, you know, so quietly, and then they'll cross in front of you, and oh my God, it's almost like you, some of these times you could like reach out and touch them. You're not supposed to, clearly, you know. Yeah. But um, you, that's how close they would get. So it, it's just no other experience like it. So I, I envy you. I would love that experience. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I went to Alaska in tw mid-2021. And I thought it would be a lot like Africa, you know, where there'd be animals everywhere. And that wasn't the case at all. I was a little disappointed by that. But it, so it shows how unique Africa is when you can see that many animals like constantly throughout a two week span, twice a day. It, we, we never not, you know, we saw everything there and more. Yeah, I think it's I mean, this is much smaller scale, but, you know, we've been camping quite a bit when the kids were younger and I'd always go camping into the woods. Right. And thinking oh, we're going to see some really cool animals. And it's like, no. Like we have more animals in our backyard around our pond than than there, than there are at campsites. Uh, you know, it's I know same thing because I, my ex husband and I, we used to go off to take a canoe into this one camping site, and we were camping all the time. Never saw any animals. I don't even think we saw deer or anything. I see way more animals around my house. <laughs> I think when you're purposely trying to find them, they don't show up. Exactly. Exactly. But we, we don't have any elephants. so <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Yes. I did. Uh, like the, I've got some actual pictures of elephants, but it's just from a couple of local, well, I say local, a zoo in Toronto and mm -hmm. uh, a zoo uh, east of us as well. But it's still an amazing experience to be near these animals that you never get to see. Uh, yeah. Especially as an artist, because do you, do you find that you're looking at them differently now as an artist versus maybe oh, absolutely. 20 years but ago? But anytime I draw an animal, you know, it just blows my mind how you can see an animal your whole life, but then when you draw them, it's just so different. But uh, yeah, you know, this this is why I can't really, I couldn't go to a zoo after I went to Africa again. I, never, I have not been back to the zoo because the elephants are such a family-oriented um, animal, 
and they really depend on each other. And I don't know, our LA zoo, sometimes you'd go there, there'd be like one, maybe two elephants. And then I didn't realize it at the time, how that is not a good thing. And then you go to Africa and you realize, and they, the guides are so amazing because, you know, they, they go to college for this. It's a big thing for them. It's one of the highest occupations you can have there. And they're so knowledgeable and they're just like, yeah, these are family oriented animals. They have to be near each other. So it's just like a regular family, uncles, aunts, mother, the father, the babies. So it, it, I, I never went to a zoo after that. It's, it's just so different seeing them in the wild, you know, and, and learning about them. We I learned so much on that trip, too. It wasn't just seeing the animals. The guides really told us a lot. So you were doing some in graphite, and then you transitioned to colored pencil completely. Are you still doing graphite now? No, you know, I do miss it a lot. And I hope this year and going forward to do at least a few pieces in graphite. Uh, but, you know, since 2018, mid-2018, I've just been full-time colored pencil. It's such, it's one of those mediums that you're just constantly learning. And for me, that's big, because if I get bored, I'll just move on to something else. And I have not been bored with it at all. That's awesome. It's just always challenging. So, but I like a good challenge. I don't like the pieces I pick are always challenging. There's something challenging in them. And that's one thing that I really like. I like to sit in front of the drawing and say, how the heck am I going to do this? You know? <laughs> what? So if, if I asked you then, when you were talking about challenging, what's been the most challenging piece you've worked on? Like if I right off the top of your head. I would definitely say it was a blanket that was, my cat was laying on. I really... That was one of the first times I just really had to sit there for a long time trying to figure it out. And I almost like didn't do it. And I just like, okay, just start small, just start in a small section and just try to figure it out. And I did. And it was really hard. But there is a huge level for me of satisfaction when I can conquer a, a texture that I didn't think I could do. So... That was that one was the toughest I would have to say of anything I've done. That it was just this weave in the blanket, and I'm like, oh my god! You know, I never even looked at the weave in the blanket before until I had to draw it. Same like with animals, you know, you don't really look at something until you have to draw it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I would agree. I have a. You can't really see it. Well, people listening can't see it, but there's a woodpecker behind me on a piece of wood, and uh, oh, okay, um, yeah, and. I spent probably three times the time on the branch he's on. It's it's a graphite piece. Then I did the actual woodpecker itself. Like it's. I know the animals are uh, tend to be the easiest part. Right. It's always the background. <laughs> yeah, and people look at it. It's like, oh my god, you know, his his eye is wonderful, and it's like, but the bark. <laughs> yeah. Look at the bark. <laughs> I did, I did buy the piece with the bark already done. I drew that bark. It's do you know how hard that was to get the little warm lines in the bark and uh, yeah, like drawing drawing lichen, right? Like <laughs> yeah, how hard is that? It's uh, I know. Yeah, you're not that. Those parts are never appreciated. No, no, <laughs> except for by you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've got to be kind because they're they're looking at the face. They're looking at the eyes, right? And so the eyes are yeah, they're pretty important. But it's yeah. those other bits that. Uh, like have you, I mean, you've got you get better as you do more of this. Are there pieces that you you put out that you know 
you could spend a bit of time with them, but you're kind of, you're finished with them. Uh, like, you know, it's time to move on. And, and you think, uh, I really didn't, I, I really should have spent more time in this area or like, do you ever walk away from a piece like, in that that's way? That's every piece. <laughs> <laughs> every piece. I literally, if you, if you follow, if you've been following me for a while on, on Instagram or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, I got to just quit. I, I call it just, all I, I just keep noodling with it, you know, and keep adding and adding. And I'm like, I got to stop. I, I literally have to stop myself because I would stay on a piece forever. I always just, yeah. I, I always leave them sort of abandoned. What's what's that quote about a piece of art is never finished, just abandoned? Yes. <laughs> so a lot of people will say not even see that. They'll see it as a finish. But I, I know that I could have worked more on it. But I had to stop myself at some point. Otherwise, you know, that's insanity. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. They're looking at it and all you're thinking in your head is, don't talk about the foot. Don't talk about the yeah. foot. <laughs> don't see the toe I messed up on or don't see that the beak is... I know. No one ever yeah. notices. Yeah. I know. They never do. And it's not, yeah. Yeah. We're way too hard on ourselves, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what, what piece have you done that's meant the most to you? Well, the personal pieces like my cat that you see behind me, mm-hmm. because I lost him almost two years ago, and I literally had to stop drawing. I I just there couldn't do anything. It, so that's my most important piece to me. The personal ones, my the one the cat with the blanket, any ones I've done with my dog that passed away like eight years ago. You know, those are the most important ones to me. Not not to others clearly, but right those are real personal and I put a lot of time into them. It was probably like my fourth or fifth graphite piece I did was of a dog that we had. And uh, I used, actually I used some color with its eyes. I brought, I had some burnt umber or something, but it was all graphite. And then we lost uh, uh, another dog. And I just, I find it hard. I can't draw a dog that's recently deceased. Like I I, I need any time before I can sit down with paper. And because as soon as you build up the eye and it sees you, you're locked in and it's a whole <laughs> kind of, you know, especially if the, if the animals pass, there's a whole bunch of emotion that comes out of that. Right. It's like, yeah. Oh, I got the eye and Oh, oh God, yeah. yeah. Oh, well this, this one is crazy because I, I, I literally couldn't do anything for like two months except for draw him. So I drew him really slow and his eyes, I, I mean, I've done so many pet portraits over the course of, you know, since uh, 2008 and I've never once gotten where the animal's eyes move with you. And this one, that the eyes move. And I'm like, I don't know what I did or if it's his spirit in there, in that portrait. But it moves with when I move. I can see his eyes moving with me. And that's the only time it's ever happened to me. And I just, that's why I keep him in. He, he was my, my muse. He was always there every time I draw, you know, sat down at my drafting table. He was always there. So, you know, that's why I have him there. So I can always see him and it means a lot to me. It makes me feel closer to him. But that one, that was like really freaky to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. In nothing, in the lions, the elephants, anything I've drawn have had that happen with their eyes except for that one. So... That's amazing that you're able to to use art to kind of bring yourself through that. We had to put down one of our dogs a few years ago, and my daughter used to play piano. They, they both do, but she would play piano, and, and this dog would come and was a large dog, and would come and sit down near the piano and just listen to her. Aww. And when it passed, she didn't play the piano for, I don't know, two months. 
uh, she just couldn't, right? Because she wasn't there anymore. So um, yeah, it is so hard. hard when because the animals, even over any almost anyone else, they're always with you. You know, yeah. so you form such a bond with them when they go. It the their when their presence is gone, it is super hard. Yeah. And it's great yeah. that you got the eyes right because that you're right. Like when you can get the eyes where they follow you. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty special. That will be the only one and only time. <laughs> <laughs> I had some weird experiences around when he died though around there. So it doesn't surprise me with that cat. And what I find interesting, I spoke about this with, uh, with another artist, Cassie Draws, when she was on here. The reflections in these animals' eyes can be really important and meaningful because, especially if you're doing pet portraits, sometimes that reflection is the owner or the family. Yeah, absolutely. Always, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's crazy. So it, it's very interesting when you see people blow them up, do real large eyes, and you can see those reflections. Yeah. It's not just a catch light, right? It, it could be yeah, somebody exactly. standing in a patio door or something when they yeah. get the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've seen it in lots of images people have sent me for commissions. I've seen their reflection in the eyes. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Now you're 100% working with uh, colored pencil. And so maybe let's talk about your tools, your paper, all of that stuff, because I've played with colored pencil. I've had some interesting experience. I'm still doing colored pencil. So I I really want to learn from you and what you're doing and how you're using it and all of that kind of stuff. So let's start with the paper. What is your preferred paper for the pieces that you're doing now? I, up until, what, two years ago, a year and a half ago, I was using Strathmore Bristol Board, and that was my favorite of all the papers over Fabriano. I didn't like Stonehenge at all. And even in my the workshop I taught last week, and I brought that up, and everyone everyone was agreeing with me. Stonehenge, the something with the sizing, the color pencil just kind of melts into the paper. It's really weird. So so Strathmore became my very favorite. And then I my friend talked me into, we were trying out some different papers. So we started with sanded paper and I absolutely hated it. I don't know how anyone draws on that stuff. I've never <laughs> and tried. And it's amazing. Oh my God. And it's amazing. I mean, they come up with such great pieces, but I, I just didn't like it at all. It really eats your pencil like so fast. And I'm so adamant about having a sharp pencil. I can't stand not having a sharp pencil. So then I abandoned that piece and I got pastel matte, which I thought was similar. So we both tried that, and I really was on the fence with that paper for at least almost two drawings in. And then now I absolutely love it because I learned kind of how to deal with it, you know, and what it can do. And it is amazing how much more it can do than the Strathmore paper. Like almost like painting. You know how in colored pencil you have to leave the white of your paper when you want whites? And this you can actually go over with white pencils and lighter colors and still get that same effect. So it is pretty amazing paper. And there's a lot of things I reference images. I just have been sitting in file wanting, I've been wanting to do them so badly, but I just didn't know how I was going to do it. And so now I'm on my fifth piece with pastel mat, I love it. I I know all the ins and outs of it now, and so I can start doing some of those images that I didn't think I could do before with colored pencils. So I'm very wow. excited about that. So that's my favorite right now. Awesome. Is pastel mat by Strathmore, or is it is it a separate? Oh no, um, Claire uh, Claire Fontaine. Claire Fontaine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
I'm going to take this opportunity to remind the listener that I put together really good show notes. So anything that Catherine and I speak about, I will include into the show notes as a matter of links. If you want to learn more about any of these materials, anything else that we talk about, artists, people, animals, I'm going to link out to all of that. So if you're listening to us and you're in a vehicle and you can't get to a computer right now, uh, know that the show notes will be here waiting for you. So don't, you don't have to write anything down. You can just click, come and click on the links and check out because uh, now I'm going to have to try pastel mat. <laughs> <laughs> And you are very good at that. I have used those links many times. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's it's just such a different, it's um it's like a velvety touch, although I have to say the colored ones are different, have a v- different feel than the white. So it's just, I don't know if adding the color in there it gives it a different texture, it gives it more rough, like not sanded, but rougher than the white and the pastel matter you're limited in the size or can you go like 30 by 40 um, inches if you like can you go big i i don't think it goes over 27 inches but i could be wrong okay. I, that's usually what i order is the 27 inches long okay interesting i'm gonna have to try that out yeah and it's just it's got a like a cork top to it and so trying to in the very beginning when i was the first piece i did i could tell there was like something on the top i wasn't because my friend told me to go really light. And so I'm not usually a very, I, I kind of draw heavy handed. And it was just kind of driving me nuts. I didn't know what it was. And then I heard, I either read it or heard it, that there was a cork um, surface on it. And you kind of have to break through that. But once you get used to it, like I don't even notice it now. You know, I just use, yeah. So I was trying to dry, draw a little bit different too on the first piece. And it was, so it really just, I wasn't liking it at all. But so you have to get, I think, through a few pieces to really know it and understand it and like it. Because a lot of people abandon it too. They don't like it in the beginning. All right. I'm going to go shopping tomorrow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any reason to get more paper in the I, house? I want to hear what you think. <laughs> After your second piece, that is. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be cursing probably through my first one, but I'll. I know you'll be cursing my name. <laughs> <laughs> I won't use your name in vain. I promise. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, so, and and I think that's I, it's probably like I know people talk about this with watercolor, but it's probably true with colored pencil. Like the most important thing, maybe, is the paper. Definitely, I would say the paper plays a huge part in the end product. The thing I didn't like about Strathmore is the the way that the tooth is on the paper and this is with all all tooth papers not i'm not just uh, pointing out strathmore but um you get those valleys in there and they leave the white dots so i like a real painterly look to my work so i'm always trying to get rid of those dots and if you know what i mean yep do you know what i mean yeah okay so yeah i I never like that look i mean a lot of people work with that paper in doing it, and I love the effects of it. It's just not the way I want to paint. But I've seen lots of pieces, very cool, where it's real. They let those kind of white dots come through and make it a real looser piece. And I, I really do like them a lot. I just, it's just not for me. I just want right. it really painterly looking. Yeah. And so, if we look at the tools, what is your favorite colored pencil? Well, I use a combination of three. So I use the oil-based one is uh, Polychromos, and then um, the oil ones are Luminance and Pablo. I use one Prismacolor, and that's white. I don't use any other Prismacolors. I don't like them. 
Um, they break, I, like I said, I like a really sharp point and you just, they break instantly. So, but what I like about the white is I use them in my backgrounds and it just, cause I like to bring the background up, knock it down, knock the color down, bring it up. And that white just really works beautifully with my background. So that's my favorite white pencil for blending. Is the, yeah, the Prismacolor? Yeah, the Prismacolor yeah. white. Yeah, I was worried when I asked you about your favorite, if, that you were going to say Prismacolor, and then we'd probably have to stop talking. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding. To, uh, cut. <laughs> You're out of here. <laughs> I should... No, that's, that's what I started with. Because, you know, back when I started, it, like 2015, there was really there was no workshops that I mean I that I didn't see. It was just re learning from books, and that's what everyone the in the books they were using Prismacolor. Mm -hmm. I still don't. When I see people, I see pieces I really like, and they say they're using Prismacolor. I'm just shocked. Yeah. Because I don't know how it's so hard to keep it get detailed with it. In my opinion. Yeah, I I agree. I didn't. I struggled with colored pencil until I switched from Prismacolor, which is wax-based, to the Polychromos mm -hmm. from Faber-Castell, yeah. which is oil. And the thing that you brought it up, the thing that really bothered me with Prismacolor, and I, I understand it was a manufacturing thing or whatever the case, but the leads would always break. the The lead wasn't centered in the wood, and I just it was frustrating to work with, and I just I hated that so much. And I'm you know I've understood they've gotten better, but you're right. Like when I see people with I see people doing colored pencil, and it's like I wonder what they're using Prismacolor, and I'm just I am blown away that they're able to pull I it know. off. I'm just yeah. it blows my mind that they've they've gotten to that such a great piece with Prismacolor. Plus, um, I don't know maybe they fixed the problem, but when I started with it, you got that bloom with it. I don't. Yep. Did you ever yes. get that? Mm -hmm. And then I'd have to be do you know how to fix this? You know, and then finally my friend told me how to fix it. And it's like, oh my God, you got to rub it with a cloth and then go over and rub it with the cloth and then spray it really quick. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah get a paintbrush. <laughs> like it, it, it yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it works against itself a little bit. And uh, yeah. yeah, I, um, I was so happy. I bought the large set of uh, polychromos two years ago, I think. And I was really happy that I was able to get the full kit. And now it's, it is so much better um, drawing with those. Now, are you using any kind of liquid on top of your colored pencil to, to shade no. it out? There's no, I've used that OMS once before and I absolutely hated it. That's another thing. Some artists can do it, use it and they get beautiful effects, but I just never liked it. I don't know. Maybe I used it it was too saturated when I used it. You know, I mean, I had two, my paintbrush was too saturated with it, but I didn't like it at all. So I used it once. I tried it for my bear and I've never done it since. So the stuff I've tried is this Zestit. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. I think it's really similar. Yeah. yeah. And it, I never used it though. Yeah. It, it worked well. It, um, oh. it was an interesting way to blend and I just, I haven't done a whole lot of colored pencil after I got this, but I did use it and it's like, wow, this, this can give me maybe a little bit of a gradients that I need um, in certain areas. And I just hadn't gotten back to using it, but it says it works with wax pencils, but it worked really well with the, uh, the Faber-Castell, the oil. Wow. Well, maybe I may have to try that. I, I used the uh, odorless mineral spirits Okay. and did not like it. So I, I figured I just would rather just do it myself, you know, manually with the pencils. Right. Do you use like a, a blender at all when you're working with colored pencils? No. No, no. It's just, you know, it's just starting with light colors, lots of light layers. And then if it's a light area that 
Prismacolor White just really can knock some areas down and leave the others. It's it's just really beautiful for that. But no, it's all, I just start lots and lots of light layers and blending into each other. What's your favorite pencil sharpener? Hold on, wait, let me look. I got it here. Okay. <laughs> I have two. I only use handheld okay. uh, ones. I, I like to control it. I mean, color pencil artists are, free, are control freaks, right? So this is even more of a control <laughs> freak. I can control it. This is uh, this is a cum. Okay. So I use this one for my um, oil base, the polychromos, and then I have a different one. But I look this up, and you can't get it anymore. It's a and it's almost. It starts with a M, and I can't read it because it's so worn out. Um, so they don't make it, but I do like it. So I have two different sharpeners for. Um, each of the pencils. I have to say the Coombe sharpeners are wonderful. I have two of them. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Yeah, like the little plasticky ones. Yeah. And uh, like the one I'm holding will also do the uh, the graphite two millimeter LEDs oh, cool. on the sides. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. And it's got two, right? So this, yeah. uh, this one will, it sharpens the wood first and then it sharpens the the inside so if it's a wooden yeah. pencil it gets rid of all the wood first and then it sharpens the point wow that's very cool i'll have to get one of those put yeah. that in the show notes so <laughs> i, I <like> will <laughs> <laughs> one thing which a lot of people don't know they can do which i found out is you can change the blades yes a lot of people don't know that <laughs> well this this one you can't see it really easily. I'm going to show you, but at the top yeah. right here where my index finger is, uh, yeah. let's see if I get the light right, there's extra blades. It comes with oh, extra wow, blades. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just a little screw, and you can you can uh, replace the blades easily. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the comb sharpeners are really nice, even if you're just using graphite. And you're going to laugh at me, and I'll, I'll link to this one too, people. Uh, but I have this Carl sharpener I've actually used with my colored pencils, and it is oh. brilliant. With a big is that, oh, it's a crank. It okay. is a crank. You know, I don't like the sound of electric pencil sharpeners. That's part of the problem too. That grinding noise, yeah. I, I just don't like. So I did try a couple of electric ones when I was using. Uh, yeah, when I was into colored pencil, more than anything else, uh, like four years ago, and I was there was like an eye eye point or something was one of them, and it would it would automatically kind of send it out when it's mm -hmm. done. And it would never get the point that I needed. This red yeah. one is really good, but it has claw marks that it leaves on your pencil. Oh, uh-huh. And so it's a trade-off sometimes. I'm thinking, you know, is that like a badge of honor that the marks are there because it does such a good job on the point? There's even a way to sharpen it. Because I, I noticed in my workshop last week, a lot of people didn't quite know how to sharpen it. And they would like push it in, I think, too hard. Yeah. So it's, it's really, you have to kind of get the feel for it too. So... I know that sounds weird because it's just a handheld thing, but there is kind of a method to it. Yeah, I mean, for a course like that, you should it maybe should be like an hour. We're just sharpening pencils. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're going to get it so just nice right. Point. Exactly. Because you have to have that good point when you're coming in sometimes, like especially with colored pencils versus graphite. Absolutely. You don't have a choice. You need that point. And so you have to have yeah. that sharpener handy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I always say I sharpen more than I draw. So because <laughs> <laughs> it's like every every couple of marks, you know, I'm sharpening. I just like a really sharp point. So it is 
just an important tool because you you don't have the opportunity of erasers, really. You don't have the opportunity for, you know, I guess you could use the the blending liquid or the blending pencils. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when, when you're comparing this to something like graphite, your tools are limited. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you ever? And I just I'm looking at my um, my indenting tools here. Is that something you use oh. in colored pencil? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Especially for cats. Okay. Like on the the cat that I was talking about, yep. the whiskers are all, and even fine hairs. And I know some people that even use the uh, slice to make that fur indent the paper to make the fur. Oh really? Okay. So yeah, like like I've a never blade. Done that. Yeah, have you ever seen the slice? No, it's no. A ceramic blade. Oh, it's it's like an exacto knife, but it's ceramic. Oh, okay. So you can it, you can use it for that. I, I've I've tried it. I just don't like it. I like to just do it myself. Right. But uh, yeah, it works for that too. So there's lots of ways to use indenting. Huh. But whiskers for cats, you cannot live without that without an indenting tool. I don't think I've done a cat. Maybe that's why I haven't come across it yet. I've used <laughs> I've used the indenting for graphite, but I haven't used the indenting for oh, colored pencil. So, and I never used it for a graphite. Yeah, I've I've never. I've only used it maybe on four or five pieces, just when I really needed white to stand out. Yeah, but yeah. Um, I tend to now go in with an eraser, and that I'm able to pull a nice, oh, mm-hmm. uh, like with the mono eraser, or use a little electric one, and then you can come in and mm-hmm. just touch it up. But uh, I know indenting is a, a tool that some people use a lot. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you can get those tools really cheap on Amazon. Yeah. Like five bucks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'll link to that, uh, the slice that you talked mm-hmm. about. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's all different ones. I like, I mean, of all the ones, this is the one I like the best, it, the barrel of it. Oh, okay. Because they come with all different shapes and sizes, but this is the one I like the best. Okay. I don't know. If there, there's nothing on there that says what it is but when you link you can i'll link to that one for that yeah (laughs) are you doing anything in the field like you know you're set up in in your home studio there with pieces are you doing anything in the field are you bringing a sketchbook with you do you ever do plein air um not anymore what i do when i'm out hiking with my dog is i just observe you know the light the color I just do tons of observation, but I'm not out there. That's one thing I absolutely want to do when I retire is um, make time to get out and sketch out in um, on my hikes. But just right now, it's just not feasible for me. I don't have the time to sit and do that. But I do sketch at home, at my animals at home. Nice. And so you say retired, you mentioned before, like, is that like five years? Is that what yes, you're saying? Yes, that's my plan. Okay. <laughs> Is five years and about two months away. <laughs> I am I am eyeing the same kind of endpoint. So oh okay yeah yeah yeah. As of Sunday, I'm four years. Uh, so. Oh, you're gonna beat me! <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. You know, that's yeah, it's a goal, but you know, if, if work is good, and uh, I don't know, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I can't complain. But you know, about my day job, but. It would be nice to be able to do it full time. I keep dreaming about that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's... and all the things like I do want to. I do want to go to the zoo and draw because I took a course um, when I first came out here drawing at the zoo with a Disney artist, and oh man, it was so challenging and so fun. Because animals, it's just like my animals here, but um, they're always moving, so it's like life drawing. You know those thirty-second drawings you do. You know, it's just it just helps you so much with your drawing skills and observation skills. Right. Agreed. Mm -hmm. 
when you're doing a piece, just asking about the process, are you sketching that initial piece out in pencil? Uh, like, how do you start when you kind of lay out that piece? Yeah, I, I try to, I just kind of do it general with a Tombow uh, pencil, graphite pencil in like a 4H or a 6H. And then um, I use, well, this is just like a drafting tool that I found at an art store, but a proportional divider is the same thing, right? you know, to measure things out and to figure when I'm doing, working on a drawing. So I use this a lot when drawing out my pieces. Okay. And are you, like, are you tracing or projecting the image or anything like that? Or is it all done with that uh, measurement tool? Oh, no, I, I will. I will. Um, I don't have anything to trace. But I will use a light, like, I don't have a light table. Okay. But I do use a light and put it over and get the general shape, and then I go in with this. Okay. For all the details. I mean, I can do, I can sketch it out if I wanted to, it's just, and I used to. It's just time, you know, I'm trying yeah. to go faster and faster, and it just takes less time that way. Yeah, especially if you were doing a bunch of pet portraits and that, it's about, you know, the production. Oh my God, and I have, that's, that's when I changed. That's when I stopped drawing it out by hand because, you know, I, I was doing two or three a month. So I was really not trying to knock them out really fast. So um, I had to. Yeah, there's an app I've used here and there called DaVinci on the iPhone. Oh, I've heard of that, yeah. And it's, it's pretty good uh, to it? be able to, uh, yeah, because it... Um, Especially if you've got like a computer nearby, you can have it project the image there. And then so you've got mm -hmm. the image you can see in front of you. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's similar to, I guess, projecting onto the paper. But in this case, you can say, oh, I want the image to be, you know, 20% transparent or op op opaque. And oh, wow. so you can see your hand underneath the projection. And it's a good way to kind of get those, as you say, those rough edges. Yeah. And then... Um, and and I'll link to that tool that you were showing, which is like a compass, but it both ends are a, a, a metal point. It, yeah, it, yeah, it's called a proportional divider. It's okay. just this one was actually just something I found in an art store in the drafting area. So, which is it does the same thing. Right. It's right. just really old. Yeah, and there's another. I have one here that's plastic by Derwent, which is the same idea. Like there's a little yeah, yeah. screw in the middle, and it's got plastic legs, and you just mm -hmm. move it back and forth. Yeah. Um. It just helps you for getting all your proportions right and seeing where some of the details are. My br I, my brain is just works really differently, and I have to see. I always print out like a photograph of my work because I have to see it like in front of me, the size. Um, my brain just can't compute if I just look at it on the computer. I'll get really off. I don't know why, but it's just okay. the way it works. So I always print out a photograph. At, at the, the scale that you're doing it. Yeah, at the scale I'm doing it. Okay. Yeah. And I noticed that the owl, the barred owl that you're working on now, mm -hmm. you've got some vellum or some tracing paper laid over it. Are you trying to protect those areas? Yeah, I'm really messy with color pencil. <laughs> it smears easily. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, but it does. So, yeah, I'm trying to protect it from touching it and smearing it and having to go back in. Yeah, I love... Um, I love that piece. And it's one of those things where I'm looking at the patterns on the owl because it's, it's unfinished. So you've posted some of your, your links to it. So I'll link out to that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I look at the feathers and I, you know, it's fantastic, the owl. But for me, it's the varying depths of branch blurriness that oh, yeah. just blows me away. Like, Yeah, everyone was always asking me how I do that. And it really just is those light layers 
and that knocking the color back with that with the Prismacolor pencil. But I've done so many now, it's just it's become probably a little too easy for me, you know. I need more of a challenge. But um, <laughs> I need something that's really going to challenge me <laughs> more. But I I do love doing them. They are cool effects. Yeah, it's it's really well done and. Yeah, like you've got, you know, because there's this an interesting kind of squeeze that happens as those branches get further away from you, where mm-hmm. you end up with almost like a rounded shape, like they all end up with a bit of a rounded shape to them, and you're able yeah. to preserve that just wonderfully. Like it's... Thank you. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I get a lot of questions about that. Someone just just even the other day asked me if I would do a tutorial, and I'm like, it would be impossible to do a tutorial. I could do a video on it, and I may right. down the road, Yeah do that. I try to do one and upload it to Instagram, but it only, I think you get like three minutes at the most on there, right? Yeah. I don't know. It just didn't work anyways. So maybe on something on YouTube. Do you know how you do it or do you just do it? Like, could you, do you know how you do it well enough to teach it or would you have to sit down and think through it? I know it well enough to teach it, but I think it's, it's, I think because I've done so many, I, make it look easier than it was in the beginning when I first started doing right. them. So I, I've, I've only had one experience teaching, but what I could see is a lot of people have a trouble blending. And that's really what you have to be real light, light layers and a lot of blending and know how to blend well. It's, it's, that's a real big part of colored pencil is learning how to blend and get down into the tooth and, and blend the different colors together. I was asking you that because, you know, I I just did my first course and I found that even though I thought I had it all figured out, there were things that I was telling people to do as I was doing it. I was just drawing a, 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 a bullfrog and that I was telling people to do because I was watching myself do it and I realized, oh, I see what I'm doing there. Like I because I, I haven't been the observer of my own stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it it kind of forces you to do that, which is you know, it's yeah. it's one thing to do it, it's another thing to teach people to do it and until you kind of Oh my gosh. Yeah. It really is hard. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you've been doing your method for so long and then to even break it down was really hard. But I luckily I did those three t- or did four tutorials before I did this workshop. So I knew kind of how to break down my method, but still I've not been able, I don't even think I would ever do a tutorial on a background because it's just too hard. You know, you really right. have to see it and and kind of draw along with it to see what I'm doing. It, it's just not that explanatory of a process. When you're working on something like the background for the owl, which is really like a series of trees at mm-hmm. uh, that falls back into the background, do you get... F- kind of frustrated with a certain area and it's like I'm just so tired of this section I'm going to go over here and (laughs) use a different pencil for a little bit if I get frustrated yeah I will jump to another area and then come back definitely Um, just like I'm doing the long well you can kind of see the it's the long branch oh my god it's (laughs) it's just starting to get it was I'm almost done with it but it, it, it gets annoying so I like start at one end then I'll go to another end and then maybe I'll you know do the middle part because 
it, it really is when you're getting into that kind of detail, it just can get really mind boggling after a while. Right. And you know what I like about your tracing paper that you've got um, on top of it to kind of protect the stuff that you've already done is you're not distracted by that work. I find that when I'm working on pieces, if I'm drawing, I don't know if you can see the links that's on my table there. It's hard to see. Oh, yeah. It's kind of blurry from yeah. this point. Yeah. And what I find I'm doing is, and I do this all the time, and I think I'm going to call it a feature of, of who I am, but I tend to, you know, you work in one area and you're looking elsewhere sometimes and you're like, oh, I got to go darker with the eye. And then you immediately move to that point and then you come back down here again and then you go back over there. And what I like about that paper on your around your owl is now you've cut off that whole detail so you can't even look there anymore. <laughs> I know and see, oh, I just got to change this over there. Yeah, right. but no tweaking until the until I take it off. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're protecting but yourself. That's the thing, I'm doing a lot of tweaking and that takes weeks sometimes yeah. until I stop myself and just say I have to move on. And with this owl, the, the owl piece, how big is that? Uh, it's like 12 by 18. Okay, and how long will my, that take my you? Whole thing, my, my whole thing this year was... I'm going to draw smaller because usually I like going 12 by 16. I like drawing and painting big. Um, it's easier than to draw small, mm -hmm. um, in my opinion. And so I thought, okay, well, a big piece of 12 by 16 takes me about two months. And this, I started like what, mid-January. But like I said, this year has been a very odd year for me. It's just been a lot of personal things getting in the way. So uh, into my drawing time. So normally, I would say this would normally take me about a month and a half, getting close to two months. The bigger, like 16 by 20, two, two and a half months. We're working about 25 hours a week Okay. in the studio. Mm -hmm. Wow. And are you devoting yourself to one piece, or do you have two or three going on at the same time? Or No, I can only focus on one. Because, okay. you know, I what I do, like, with the owl is I like to do all one texture because I have a certain method of doing that. And if I put it away and go to another piece and I come back, it just, I forget how I, do, you know, because there's a certain pencil order I do something and um, I ju I'll just forget how to do it. And so I like to just focus on that. So I wanted to ask you when you're starting a piece, and this is just me, it was so funny when I saw your barred owl because I have an entry in my nature journal that is a series of three barred owls. So when I saw yours, it was like, I'm doing barred owls. I got to get back to that <laughs> in colored pencil. So, but what I do is, is I'll take and, and figure out what pencils I'm using and I put them into a separate pencil case. Do you segment your palette into like, these are the eight or 10 pencils I'm using and then protect those? I'm just, it's a small point, but I'm just curious, are you separating that from your big package of colored pencils? Yeah, I take out, like, I have that drawer full of pencils, so mm -hmm. I'll take out what I think I need, and then, you know, I keep pulling them out as I go, and then I just have them kind of spread out here, and there's a big mass of them, <laughs> but, um, you know, the <laughs> I get used to the order I'm drawing in, and then, okay. so I will segment, like, if I'm using certain colors, I will segment them a little bit where I'm drawing from. Right. Yeah. So I don't I like four or five colors that I use, and I don't want to forget that when I come back the next day. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's always my worry. Depending on the color, there can be like 12 options of that within the larger Faber-Castell yeah. kit, and it's like, oh, no. <laughs> I got to rub it on a piece of paper and lay that piece of paper beside the, the drawing, and it's like, was that the brown I was looking for? Yeah. Oh, I know, and they're so close, some of yeah. them, and, you know, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah, agreed. <laughs> Are you doing any digital work? Like, are no. you, 
so you're strictly colored pencil? Yeah, strictly by hand. Okay, yeah. okay. Like you've won some significant awards with some of your colored pencil work. You're a member of what? What's the the Society of Animal Artists as well? Yeah, yeah, and then the colored pencil uh, Society of America. How has that been for both of those? I mean, maybe you could speak to one or both of them, but. Just the idea of being part of that kind of community. How has that impacted your art? Well, I actually was um, had another local uh, art guild that I was actually on the board and co-president for like six, seven years. We just stopped doing it last uh, June because no one wanted to take over any board positions. So, and my my co-president had been doing it twelve years, and I was like doing it co-president six six seven years I think I don't know I'm really bad at time but something like that and um I it shocks me a lot of other local um art groups have gone under as well and I just it it's like it's surprising to me because I think community is so important with this and that's why I like my local chapter of color the color pencil society because we get together and it's just fun to be with other like-minded people and just talk your, your trade, you know? And I think a lot of younger people are not, all these groups are kind of older, older members, right? I don't want to say old people, but you know, (laughs) we kind of are. And there's not like a lot of young blood in, in the groups. And I, I'm just shocked because the community is my favorite part of even social media you know, is being with other like-minded people. Um, I th- I think it's extremely important, and I love SAA for that, and I love the colored pencil um, group because of that too. You know, you've won. You you got first place in the wildlife animal category in a artist magazine competition, yeah. right? Last year. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that it may seem weird, but do you feel that validates you in some way in your head? Do you feel like it's I don't want to say it's not important because that's a huge success, right? Mm-hmm. Did you already know that you were that good? Like, does it, or does it help to validate you, make you feel like, wow, people really see what I see? Yeah, I, I definitely think it helps validate me pers- just for me personally, because, you know, like you said, we're all really hard on ourselves. We don't see it. I get a lot of co- comments from people and stuff, and I'm like, oh, thank you. That's really nice. But, you know, I don't think I internalize it myself because I see, oh, I can improve here. I can do that there, you know, so to get that award, that one was really huge for me when I opened that email up and I saw that I was like really shocked. I'm always really shocked when I win something (laughs) because I think there's so many, like there's so many fantastic artists out there. It's amazing. But I just feel very, very, yeah, for me inside, because it's been such a long journey with, like I said in the beginning, not having any support around it. Um, My siblings have been just fantastic about supporting me as an artist. But when you don't get that from your parents, it's really hard. And then you have to psych yourself up throughout your whole art journey and wondering if you're good enough. And so it does give me a little bit of validation that I am good enough to I feel like, what's that guy's name? Smalley? Um, oh, from Stuart Smalley? Gosh, gosh darn it. I am good enough. That's right. <laughs> yeah. If you, that was uh, Saturday Night Live, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's that right. Saturday Night Live. But yeah, it, it actually does do that. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've I've had that same voice in my head at times. Like, gosh darn it! Yeah, and for and for the kids out there, just go to YouTube and search for Stuart Smalley. I'll I'll link to it. (laughs) It's just it it, that is true. It is it makes you feel validated, you know, in your field because I've worked so so hard with my art work, and it's something that I've always wanted to do. And I've had periods where I have been full-time artist, but it is, it's hard, you know, it's a hard thing. You have to wear so many hats, you're pulled in so many directions, you have to do so many things to make a living at it. So it's just really nice. I'm always so grateful when I get an award like that. Well, seeing your work, it was, there was no question that and more awards are coming. It's just incredible work that you're doing. Thank you. And part of this too, is when you're selling your pieces, you're, you're providing part of that sale back to a charity or rescue. How important is that for you? Oh, and that's super important for me. Actually, (laughs) my daughter, I'm like, I can't help myself. I tell my youngest daughter, I can't help myself. I have to help, help these other animals. And so I'm always, you know, giving a lot, a lot of money towards these causes. I just, I don't like animal suffering and um, especially at the hands of humans. And so I give, I do give a lot of money back. And I, we have so many local rehabilitation centers for animals around my area. And they're just doing amazing work. And I, so I just love supporting that. And one, the California Wildlife Center, I actually, for I think about seven years, I used to do a piece of artwork for of one of their patients. And then they had this uh, big auction thing in the summer. And so I would donate my that piece of art to them to make money. And now I'm doing one for the Arroyo Foothills Conservancy. So I haven't done it for a while, donated. No one's asked me, and I haven't done it for a while. I just usually give money, a portion of my sale back into these groups. Mm-hmm. But now I'm, I'm really happy to be able to donate some art uh, in, for June. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah I, I agree. It, it's, it's sad when you hear, you know, that our generation may be the last one to see a tiger or a polar bear or something like that. It's just, it is. it's really sad to hear that. Yeah. And I think that, that and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, right. it's just, someone told me that elephants are finally, the numbers are stabilizing, which makes my heart sing. So, you know, cause there were, I, I know they're doing so much education, local villages and um, outreach programs with kids to try to educate them on the importance of keeping you know, especially some areas where it's, you know, there's big tourism dollar. You want to, I mean, I hate to say that, but that's a good reason to keep your animals as safe as possible. But it's just, it's important overall. On your site, you also offer some uh, tutorials. Mm -hmm. And what was that like? And what made you think, I'm going to start teaching or doing tutorials? Well, I mean, I never reached out to, it started with Ann Kullberg. She reached out to me. Oh, I actually, there's one on there I don't even think I have up there. One, the very first one I did with her was a collaboration with, I think, about 20 other artists. Um, and we did just a real brief uh, tutorial on how we did our piece. And my bear actually got on the cover of that one. But that's how it all started. And then she really liked it. And so she asked me to do my own individual one. And I didn't think I could do it. You know, it's one thing when you're drawing is to just to do your method, but then to try to break it down. And and so someone understands it and you only have so many images and so many, you know, so long of a text 
you can put next to each image. So it was it was definitely a challenge to do that. But that's what got me all doing all those really got me to the point where I could say yes to doing a workshop. Otherwise, before if I hadn't done those, I would never have said yes to doing a workshop. Do you feel like you're a better artist having done the workshops? Or sorry, having done the uh, tutorials? Well, no, I would say it had to be more creative because I had to, because you're so limited, you have to figure out ways to get a good end product with less pencils. And if that makes sense, because you can't say, okay, then use these 40 pencils. This is how you, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which I normally use. And um, so I had to try to get it down to 10 and explain it. So it was really an interesting process, all of them, just to try to figure out how to do that with as little colors as possible so I could explain it and still get a good, really good result. So it is possible to limit your palette and get some really good by just learning how to shade and and layer. Right. And you just did a, a workshop in person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last Saturday. How was that? Yeah. Oh, super fun. I, you know, when she asked me, my local, the president, Sue, asked me, um, and she knew I had never taught a workshop before. And I'm like, why is she asking me? I don't think I can do this. <laughs> I was really nervous. <laughs> I don't, I'm not big. Uh, thank God for my local art guild because um, I had to stand up and talk. And it was a very safe space. It was like we had 40 members, but like 20, 25 would show up. And so talking in front of people was never my thing. I'm very much, I'm a one-on-one kind of person. I just don't like calling attention to myself. And so that gave me a lot of practice. That was another thing that I could, because I've done that now for so many years, I could say yes to the workshop. Or before, if I had never done that, I don't think I could have done it. I couldn't have gotten up in front of people, um, even though I knew like maybe half of them in the workshop. But it was a very, very cool experience. I'm very happy I did. I got really great reviews back, and no one could believe it was my first one. So that was really nice. That's a nice compliment. But it, it was really interesting trying to teach it, you know? Because <laughs> some people, there was two that went really fast and way ahead, yeah. and others were going really slow. And I had to keep, I, I would go around the room like I would demonstrate thing, and then everyone, we, there was a projector. So you could see what I was doing, and then I would work on it a little while and go around the room and help and see how everyone was doing after I would do a part of it. And it was just really interesting because all their their own methods came out, and trying to draw like my method was just really interesting. And a lot of people, understandably, you're timid when you're learning a new method, right? You're Mm -hmm. not doing your usual thing. And so I had to like, you have to be more confident in your mark making and, and go slide, tell a lot of people, slow down, slow down, you know, because that is part layering and blending is a slow, it's the slowest medium, you know, you just have to slow down. Right. And so to get people to do that wasn't easy. Yeah, it's, uh, I really admire teachers because it does get hard in a class when you've got the people that are few steps ahead of everyone else and the people that are yeah. there just starting out and you've got to somehow meet them in the middle. I remember yeah. I've only, so I, I did the course, this recent course I did about drawing, but I've only attended one workshop in person and it was a graphite course with Mike Sibley, who's a graphite artist out oh, of the UK. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, he was awesome. And it's it's the only workshop I've taken. It was three days and it was incredible, but it was that scenario where you show up and it's like half the class 
had taken it before or had been with him before. And they just showed up with what they were working on. And he had exercises and some did the exercises and some did. They just wanted to be around Mike and other artists and drawing and have him kind of look at their work and make suggestions. And it wasn't until I think the last day that I started just doing my own thing. But mm-hmm. you do have that kind of variance, and it's really hard when you've got a group around you and someone's trying to figure out how to draw this hair and this other person's 10 steps ahead on, on a, a separate technique. But um, And this was a, a, so this was a single-day course, or was it the whole yeah, weekend? Single yeah, single-day. It was 9 to 4. And it was working for my one tutorial, The Lions. So that's why I think a lot of people could move forward because they were seeing it in the book. Okay. Because they all had the, the book. And... So I think a lot of them could see that and started just going forward instead of listening. But twelve, we, there was 12 people in class, and I think that was a good amount to be able to get to everyone constantly throughout the day to kind of guide them a little bit more. Because um, if you're just sitting there and you have a whole room, you can't get to everyone and say, oh, you got to slow down here or, you know, take your more time, be more intentional with your marks. It would just be too hard. So it was, it was a nice, it was a nice group, size group. Are you going to do it again? Yeah, I would actually definitely, I, it was shockingly, yes. I really, <laughs> I've always thought of myself as a creator and not a, I've been resisting teaching forever. I've done demos for sure for a lot of different art groups in the area, right. but demoing is way different than trying to teach someone. So, but I really did enjoy it. It was really fun, but it's a long day. Jeez. <laughs> I I think I was tired for like four days after that. <laughs> Are you normally an introverted person or extroverted? Or I said to my sister one time, "I'm I'm such an introvert." And she goes, "You are not an introvert." And I said, "Well, yeah, I guess I'm not. <laughs> I'm I'm not introverted. I do talk. I've always talked a lot, but um, like I said, I do like more one on one or just yeah. this very small group than a large group. But I was fine. I, you know, after I got over that first like five minutes, my nerves settled down and, and I was fine. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is tiring. There's a I don't know what like the mental muscles that are being moved at that point, but it's like you, yeah. you have to be on it the whole time. Right. I know. Yeah. yeah, you can't. It's like it's even like I used to sell uh, at fairs. That was another thing that it just you're on that whole time and it's just your mental, like you said, you know, it's just mentally tiring after a while. So yeah, I don't know how people do it all the time. <laughs> I would do workshops, but like maybe a few a year, you know what I mean? It's not like something I'd want to do. Right. Yeah. I think yeah. when Mike was doing like it, week. he was doing one in, in Ottawa where I am. And then he, I think he was going down or he was coming from Florida. So he was kind of doing North America, but he said when he was here that he isn't going to be doing any more. Um, oh, so I think, you know, I would, yeah, I would think it would get very tiring after a while, yeah. you know, yeah, because yeah. his wife was with him. And I think it's just, you know, it's probably easier for him at this point to just do his work at home. And yeah, but uh, if you ever, if you ever did a workshop and I could get to it, I would go like, I think oh, that'd be so much fun. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to have you. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. You know, you can, go, you know, you can goof off with people and stuff and. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, when I see your work, there's so much to learn there that I'd be just, you know, Catherine, can you just come over here and can we talk about something you haven't <laughs> talked about yet? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you people could wait. I have questions. I have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, th- that's great. I think it's great that you're doing this. I'm hopeful that 
if you have other workshops that, you know, when people follow you after this podcast, if there's an opportunity for them to attend those in some way, shape or form, they mm -hmm. should, because uh, I, yeah. I think you have so much to share with others. Thank you. I'm not going to seek them out at this point, but if someone asks me, you know, I, I probably most likely will say yes, especially if it's on a cruise. <laughs> there you go. Or an African safari. Or an African safari. Right. Yeah. So if, if you could hear our voices and you you have an idea, yeah. just send Catherine a message. Just, yeah. My email is. <laughs> right. Before I get into the homework, I wanted to ask you what... I mean, you talked a bit earlier that it's, you know, it's challenging with a full-time job and then you have some other stuff going on and you're trying to do your art and all of this kind of stuff weighs in on what are you going to do this year art-wise? And like, do you have some thoughts about how, what you want to accomplish this year for, around your art business uh, creatively? Yeah, I definitely do. I start about November and I kind of log out, you know, what shows I'd like to be in, uh, commission, you know, what commissions I'm going to be doing. I tried to... I'll limit my commissions quite a bit, but this year, I don't know, everyone's been asking me, so I've had to turn a lot down because I just, I want to do my own thing. So I'm taking on like five commissions this year, so I kind of plotted those out so they're not all one after another. And then, um, luckily, one already canceled. <laughs> <laughs> or that's what I'd be working on now. And so I do I do plot out shows. And sometimes I know, and I, this time I'm like, okay, Let's be realistic about how long these things are going to take you to draw. So I know which ones I can possibly get done and and um, ones I can't. So I can't get to every show I'd love to get to, but I'm trying to draw. That's why I wanted to draw smaller this year um, so I could get a few more pieces done. But hopefully I'll get all in what that I wanted to do. It's just some of the, the one, one I have coming up is really challenging. So that might take me a little bit Do you want to share that? Longer. Um, well, it's just where um, it's a piece I've been holding on to for, gosh, probably about four or five years where I go hiking in my city. And it's just what always catches my eye when I'm out and observing nature with, you know, when I'm hiking with my dog is the light and the light always attracts me and I'll just be hiking by and all of a sudden, you know, I'll do a double take and I like go back and want to take, you know, just look at it for a while and take some pictures. So it's it's a bunch of weeds um, with these huge boulders and rocks. And then I there's a lot of quail around there. So I have, um, I want to put a, it, I, there wasn't any quail when I took the picture, but I want to put a quail in it. And so that's the part is the weeds. How do you draw that in colored pencil, you know, and make it not look childish or, you know, very unprofessional. So I, that's why that, that, that specific piece is why I started doing pastel mat, working in it. So I could see if it would work for that piece. That I mean, that's why I got into pastel mat, huh. just for that one image. And so hopefully I'm going to try that. I was going to start at the beginning of the year and then, you know, I just wasn't, I had COVID and so I wasn't feeling well enough to jump into it. So it'll be in the next two pieces or I, I'm doing that one piece for the um, Arroyo Foothills uh, auction and then I'll do that one. So I'm very excited about it. That's awesome. We're going to be watching yeah. you. I hope you post uh, works in progress or work in progress oh, yeah, pictures. Absolutely. Yeah. You can see how, if I have lots of frustrations with it or not, <laughs> if I finish it. But I mean, that's what I'm going forward. I want to do more of my pictures for my travels. So, right. Um, which isn't just, so I kind of started off with portraits, doing portraits of animals and putting animals in their environment. And now I want to do 
more landscapes with an animal in it. So that's kind of where I'm going with probably in the next few years, through the next few years. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the, the, the barred owl that you're working on, it reminds me so much of Robert Bateman, the kind of that cap, oh, that, yeah, that kind well, of look of an animal with its environment fully kind of embracing it, yeah. He's a huge, I mean, for I guess most wildlife artists probably, and I've met him twice, it's so lucky. <laughs> um, awesome. That was such a thrill. Um, one of my bigger thrills too was, I, who I mentioned, I think to you, is Terry uh, Miller. yes. That, oh my gosh, it's just amazing. And so I met them when I was in the bird, Birds and Art Show in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, at the Liaki Museum. And man, just he's such a hero of mine, you know. Yeah, such a nice guy. Yeah, his work is amazing, yeah. yeah. And I, I, he's one of those artists that I've read almost everything I can of and seen videos. And so I really study a lot of the artists I really love as much as I possibly can. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll link out to uh, his appearance here on the podcast because that was a real high for me. Oh my god, I, that was the first one I listened to. <laughs> <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I saw that I'm like Robert Bateman. I've never seen a podcast with Robert Bateman in it, and I'm like, oh my god, who is this guy? Who is this Mike? <laughs> and he gets Robert Bateman. <laughs> that was the that was one of the easier interviews because I sent an email and I got something back from his assistant the next day where she was like, I'm sure he'd love to be on, and. <laughs> What? Wow. And and it's like, well, he wow. he'd have to do it through a phone call, and it's like, whatever. If he if he wants to send me Morse code answers, I, it doesn't matter to me. But it was it was wonderful speaking with him, and uh, yeah, he's he's been an inspiration for me. When I thought about doing a podcast, he was probably you know top two of like, okay, I'll be successful if I can chat with him. Wow. Uh, because his, his art's everywhere, especially in Canada. Like, you see it everywhere. There was a time in the 90s where his prints were everywhere. Well, you know, I worked in the 90s, uh, 80s, 90s, when I was up in Stevens Point, up in Wisconsin. He came there quite a bit for that show, the, the show in Wausau. That's where I first met him. I was a guest with one of the artists that was in the show and got to meet him then. And then when I was in the show uh, in 2018... So he's just like a god to me. <laughs> you know, I, who cares about movie stars? I just like the <laughs> artists are what I want to meet. So, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. And I worked in a frame shop uh, for a really high-end gallery, uh, wildlife gallery. Man, his prints were through there all the time. He was just so popular back then. Yeah, he's a pretty special person. And I, yeah. I, we're, we're swooning over <laughs> Bateman here, but... <laughs> see the impact it has and maybe maybe our conversation will inspire someone else and uh so i think that's that's what the whole podcast is about so so that's it sounds like you're gonna have an amazing year we're gonna be watching you closely uh watching your instagram Ah, and no no, we're gonna be watching you closely (laughs) (laughs) but uh it sounds like you've got so much in your plate and i'm excited to see uh how the africa trip goes and how many thousand more photos you're gonna have from that uh let me know. We'll have to touch base because I'm, yeah. I'm really curious how that's going to come out. Probably starting next year, it's going to be all African animals <laughs> right. and landscapes and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Is there, I was thinking about this when you're talking about your, your pencils and pulling them out and putting them aside. Are there, do you have a favorite two or three colors? Favorites? No. No. I would say use more of the, the grays the most, you know, both the warm and the cold grays. Okay. Um, probably use those colors the most. But you know this that um, I don't know if you remember the panda bear. I just finished yes. very end of last. Okay, I love that piece because I use so many colors I normally don't use, huh. 
And that was super fun. I've really got to add more, a lot more colors in. It was just really, it was so much more enjoyable. Are you thinking more colors? Like, are you thinking pieces with more colors in the future then because of that piece? <sighs> if I could find a subject matters, you know, okay. uh, I'm trying to figure out with my weeds because it's mostly like golds and blues and how I can sneak in some other colors in there um, because I just enjoyed that so much. Huh. But hopefully if I see, you know, there's very colorful birds in in Africa, so yeah. they'll be doing a lot of those. I mean, you could take the Bateman approach. He did it with, was it a cougar that was in the desert and he had a uh, a beer company can that was... Oh, so like kind of human litter intervention component. So yeah, I've, I've started doing that with my piece, one piece, and I plan to do that more too yeah. going forward. So yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, and then you could you know focus on something that's blue or something <laughs> purple or yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, in my one piece, I put a Mountain Dew cap, and that's a nice bright green. It is a nice green. <laughs> I always ask my my guests for homework, something that the individual listening could try, something they could do. And so, Catherine, I'm wondering what you would consider as homework for the listener. Well, I just feel like drawing from life is so important. And so my homework would be, if you have animals at home, what which I do, I have a lot of animals, I, in the morning, I sit down in my bed with my, you know, have my tea to the side and I'll draw them. And it's just so challenging. But if you don't have animals, just get outside, go to the zoo. There's lots of parks with uh, ducks and geese around. Anything to start drawing from life, I think, is super important. That That's my background. You know, when I was... Um, Back in my day, <laughs> we didn't have, we didn't work from photographs. We worked from life, and I think that's just been a really very important part of my journey. Is that beginning part where I learned to work from life first, because you really learn to observe, and that's the whole point of drawing, right? Is you're observing things, even when you're working from photos. But photos are such a flat medium, and things go dark. So you're really getting out in nature too, if you can. And really looking at the light and the colors of shadows, I think is all has been an important aspect to my work. So, but really, if you have animals, just really draw from. I know it can get frustrating. And, you know, I use, I just use a cheap line notebook, you know, one of those composition books. Mm -hmm. And I use a big pen. And, and so it's not precious to me. It's not something that, you know, it's a finished drawing by any means. It's just, it's just for me, it's to get my observation skills down. And that's what you got to start building when you're, when you're an artist and you're doing it, well, no matter what medium you need drawing skills, unless you're doing abstract, I guess. But, you know, if you're doing people, uh, still lifes, animals, plants, any of that, you really do have to know how to draw well and not just copy from a photograph. That's a really good point. And it's funny you mentioned the big pen because it's exactly what Bateman uses, right? When he does a sketching out there. Does he? Yeah. <laughs> Wow, I think I got that osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I agree. Like, if you've got pets in your house, I think I have, like, I have more unfinished sketches of our dogs and my feet uh, than anything else. <laughs> yeah, feet. That feet are so hard. Hands yeah. and feet. If that's perfect, sit in your bed and draw your feet. Yeah. I mean, you don't. Your feet aren't going to move if you don't want them to. But right. But the challenge of pets is they just constantly move and you just yep. have to keep starting over, starting over until you can observe them long enough where you know when they move, you can, can, 
continue and finish the drawing. I mean, then you've kind of made it, but you, that's perfect drawing your feet, you know? Yeah. Or in front of a mirror drawing yourself if you if you draw, like drawing people. Yeah, I don't know? think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so whatever, just draw some life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's that point of catching them when they're sleeping, right? Same as when you're drawing outside is, is trying to leverage the animals that, you know, um, may be less active and maybe combining bodies. You combine the head over here with this body mm -hmm. and, and leveraging that. Because it is tricky when you have, uh, you know, ducks or animals that are feeding. Uh, some of them are, are much more active and the other one that just, you know, that just fed is sitting there sleeping. You know, yeah. choose your choose your subject. But, but in life drawing, we always had, you know, you had your longer poses, but I mean, yeah. you really had your 30 second poses, your 15 second poses, you know, you're just getting a gestural drawing down. That's yeah. all it is. And that's observing, you know, that you're just learning to observe. You're not trying to get a finished portrait of it. So animals are really good for that. Because when I was drawing at the zoo for that one class, uh, it was it was hard. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had such a great teacher. He would come and, and he was so intentional with his mark making on how to really see that animal. It really helped me a lot. So if you can do it with a really great instructor, e even better. But at least get out on your own and do it a lot as much as possible. Yeah, I agree. And if you're feeling comfortable doing it, do it with someone else. Because some people may be uncomfortable doing it by themselves. But I think, yeah, 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 yeah. go with a partner. Yeah. That makes it fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's wonderful homework. Um, I'm going to have to draw my feet again soon, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I hate feet, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I would never draw them. <laughs> it's, it's really a good challenge. It is. For sure it is. <laughs> so, Catherine, uh, where can people find you online? I'm kind of everywhere, and I'm, I'm on all the social uh, platforms, uh, Facebook, um, mostly on um, Instagram. I like Instagram the best. Okay. But webs my website, which is just katherinehanson.com, and th th I guess that's about it. Okay. I'm going to link to all of that stuff. Your your website is is wonderful, and flipping through your, your drawings okay. is just uh, incredible. And we're going to be watching your Instagram closely for, <laughs> for your upcoming works in progress and uh, your trip to Africa. I hope you share some stories from that as well. And that, oh, yeah. and that panda that you mentioned was incredible. Like that's, oh, that you. really kind of blew me away that, that work. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe makes it as the show art, but that is a wonderful, wonderful piece. Thank you. I'm really proud of that piece because the original uh, reference photo, he, her body was really covered by this huge blurry fern and some leaves on the bottom. And then the baby had weird paws. And so I really changed a lot, a lot up. And a lot of that gave me that confidence from doing commission work where people don't give you the best photos and you have to really learn to just do it, you know, just try your best. So I looked at, I studied a lot of pandas and I've always watched a lot of panda videos because they're very cute too. They're like baby elephants. So I just went and looked at a lot of pictures to try to recreate them. And I think it came out very believable. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the way you've got the catch light, like on the, on the top of the right shoulder and the, the 
yeah. the right leg or arm. I don't know if it's a leg. I guess it's a leg if it's a bear. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> they don't have hands, so that's not an arm. Uh, but the way you've got the reflections on that and the shadows, it's it's it has so much depth to it. And the way you've rendered the background with the um, mm, the you. trees, it's a really uh, great kind of exploration. I would recommend someone checking these out on your site where you can zoom in and you can get a really nice close look at uh, Catherine's work. Well, you know what? That's when I'm picking a reference photo, the lighting, it just... That's one of the most important things, I think. And when I'm looking at other people's pieces, too, it's it's always the lighting that catches my eye, you know, immediately. So I think that's a really important aspect when you're doing artwork, too, is getting that really nice lighting in there on your pieces. Yes. I mean, you've got to, that's the way you achieve the depth is, is getting that light right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been wonderful, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and sharing your journey and talking about your work and just being open about all of that. I'm sure that you've inspired others to get out and, and draw and paint more, uh, maybe try colored pencil, maybe come back to it like me. I'm thinking I'm going to do some colored pencil this weekend now. Hey. So, <laughs> I thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for asking me, Mike. It's been wonderful. I, I'm just thrilled to have met, found you and met you. You know, this is great. Thank you. I love your podcast. It's fantastic. You always ask very interesting questions and I really appreciate you asking me on. Well, thank you so much. It's a great honor. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Wishing you all the best in, in 2023 and beyond, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. So uh, take care of yourself. And we'll talk soon. Show notes, including links to everything Catherine and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 97. If you enjoyed the show, please follow, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcasts for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 